All right, so today we're going to bring this conversation about the church, why does it matter, to a conclusion. We started this journey back in September, the first Sunday of September. It is carried all the way through October, and we will shift gears next Sunday morning, and we will begin a conversation that has to do with our annual emphasis on mission here at First Baptist Arlington that'll take us through the month of November. But you know, we've been asking the question, the church, why does it matter? And so today, I've entitled the message, First Baptist Arlington, we are growing. And the text for the message today is found in Colossians. So if you have your copy of the New Testament, I'll invite you to look with me at Colossians 1. This is a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome, uh, probably around AD 60 or so, we're guessing, somewhere in there. This is unlike the other letters he wrote from prison while he was in Rome. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. And then he wrote this letter. The difference is he had never actually been to Colossae. This was not one of the churches that he founded. Uh, obviously, Philippi and Ephesians, he was very familiar with those communities. Um, he knew Epaphras, who was a faithful leader of the church at Colossae, but this was not one of the places where Paul went. But Paul was in Rome at the time. And he was under house arrest. He had been taken there from Caesarea. He appealed to Caesar, and so that's where he was. He was waiting trial. He was not able to travel, so he was in a little different situation than he normally found himself in. Paul was a missionary. He was a preacher. He was an evangelist. He was a pastor. And so to Paul, his first line of ministry was to actually be present somewhere, to actually be physically, incarnationally with these people. However, he couldn't do that now. But Paul had already learned to change his methods sometimes. If you remember, when you read 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, I wanted to come to you, but Satan stood in front of me. He says, Satan hindered me and kept me from coming, so he wrote them a letter. Now, in Paul's mind, being there in person would have been first-tier ministry. Writing a letter would have been second-tier ministry. But aren't we glad he started writing letters? Because he realized that he couldn't always be where he wanted to be. This is certainly one of those examples because he's in prison in Rome. So he writes them a letter and now we have it in our New Testament. So we're grateful for that. So today we're going to look at Colossians 1. We're going to begin in verse 3. Now the New Testament, as you know, is written in Greek, not English. And so sometimes if you're familiar with Paul, you know that his... His letter writing sometimes can be very complex. This is a good example of that. Um, in the original Greek text, verses 3 through 8 is one sentence, just one long sentence, okay? But fortunately for y'all, I was reared and educated in Alabama, so I have the ability to handle these complex grammatical <laughs> structures, so I'll try to help y'all along, uh, you Texans, but... So typically what we do whenever we have one of these long, complex sentences from Paul, the translators will break it up into clauses and put it in more sentences in English so that you can grasp the import of the clauses because our grammar is a little bit different in English than it is in Greek. So with that said, let's look at this text. Verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven 
and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, as we finish this uh, conversation this morning, I want to just put a few things before you that we've already talked about just to remind you of the context of this particular message. Let me remind you of the Psalm 1 tree. If you're a First Baptist person, you know this image. This is our desire for you. We want you to be a Psalm 1 person. So we've been captivated by the tree that's mentioned in Psalm 1. Hence, Psalm 1 is written around the walls of this church. And so you remember, first of all, we want you to have this deep root system because we know that you're going to face challenges in your life and you need to have a root system in your life underground, so to speak, to sustain you and give you what you need so that you can manage your way through the storms of life so that you can grow into the productive person God wants you to be. That's to us where you discover your purpose then we want that strong trunk to develop. That's where you're transformed by the gospel, by the power of Christ in your life. And then the impact, the influence, if you will, you'll see the leaves and the shade and the fruit. So we want you to be a Psalm 1 person, okay? And that's our image for you. Now, y'all remember that I've come across a new Psalm 1 tree for the church, and it's the angel tree in Charleston, South Carolina. And that tree to me represents in some ways my picture of First Baptist Arlington. Now, y'all know good and well for a tree like that, it has to have a deep root system, obviously. But notice that incredibly huge trunk, and then you'll see all those branches that go out and actually need even more support. That's the image I have of our church. Our church supports so many different ministries. This is a very complex ministry environment, and we are invested in so many things, it's hard to put it singularly in front of you. So this image to me captures it somewhat because of the vast number of things that you are invested in as a church and how connected we are to the things that God has called us to. We have a counseling center and a child development center and our ministry that uh, we were connected to Living Hope and Mission Arlington and Restore Hope and the list goes on and on and on of all the things that you are a part of some of which we'll talk a little bit more about next month during our missions emphasis. But the point is, this is a very diverse and complex ministry that we know as First Baptist Arlington, okay? Now, we've used this brief, just kind of succinct definition of the church, certainly not definitive, but it just gives you a snapshot of how I view the church. I would say the church is a purposeful community of gathered believers following the Jesus way together. That's who we are. We're not just a community, we're a purposeful community. We don't, this on our, don't do this on our own, we do it together. We gather together. We don't follow our own way, we don't follow just who we are as First Baptists, we follow the Jesus way. That's really who the church is. During the fall, we have read through the book of Acts, we're almost done, and I've just tried to highlight along the way in some of these messages, characteristics of a New Testament church as we have found them primarily in the book of Acts. Let me just remind you of what we've studied together and talked about. 
We believe the church is a believer's church. If you want to be a part of a local church, well, the early church, everybody in the church was a believer. They were devoted. These folks were committed to things, and we are to be as well. Spiritual formation is very much a part of foundationally who our church is. Fellowship, our life together in community, worship, the Lord has called us to be people of worship, ministry and service, taking our gifts and using them for the glory of God, evangelism and mission. Then we've had to build a supportive infrastructure. There's no way to support everything we do unless we have an infrastructure that can manage it. Collaborative partnerships, you remember the whiteboard conversation we had, we talked a little bit about those. And then today, I want us to talk about expansion. So if you put all those together, that is what we've learned about a New Testament church. And so again, it's a very diverse and complex conversation. So with that said, let's talk a little bit today about what Paul has to say about growth. And Paul's conversation about growth is actually connected to his understanding of the gospel. So in this text, here's what Paul says. He says, this gospel, it is a gospel of faith and love and hope. Now, those three words are very familiar to us. In fact, they're favorite words of Paul's. He loves to talk about faith and love and hope. He does in this text. If you'll go back and look at it with me, look at verse 4. Paul says, here I am in Rome. I'm hearing about what's happening in Colossae. Here's what I've heard. Verse 4, he says, I've heard of your faith, but your faith is in Christ Jesus. Well, as Christians, that is where we place our faith. We believe in a person. We believe he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And we believe that we are to trust him with our lives and with our hopes and with our eternity. And so Paul says, I've, I've heard about your faith. Then he says, I also recognize something else about you that's evident, evidenced by, the, or evident that the gospel's at work among you. You have love for all of God's people. And Paul says that is an obvious expression of the gospel because we don't naturally love all people. We don't. We naturally love people who are easy to love. We love people who love us. But to have love for all people, let me just be honest with y'all. Some people are hard to love, true? They just are. Paul says, I'm seeing something in you, and the only thing that I can attribute it to, the gospel must be alive in your church because you have a love for all of God's people. So how are you doing in that arena? Um... You know, last Sunday morning, I, I preached over at North Davis Church of Christ, and I told them this story. You're familiar with it. Many of you are. But, you know, back in the early 1900s, the chefs on the West Coast wanted to prepare meals with cod. The problem is cod only grows on the East Coast, in the water off the East Coast. doesn't grow in the West. So they had cod shipped by train to the West Coast to prepare it and uh, tried to keep them alive in aquariums as they could on trains. But, but the problem was when they prepared the meals on the West Coast, the, the flesh of the cod was mushy and people complained about it. Well, once refrigeration was invented, they decided to use refrigeration. So they began to 
freeze the cod, harvest the cod, freeze it and ship it across the country. Still mushy. So finally, one of the uh, folks who was involved in the industry said, you know what we need to do? We need to keep the cod alive in these tanks, but we need to put some catfish in with them because they're natural enemies. And that's what they did and that's what they do. That kept the cod swimming around, if you will, in the tank because there were some catfish in the tank. Here's what I've learned about God. Sometimes he's going to put some catfish in your tank. <clears throat> now, if you can't think of any catfish right now, that means you must be the catfish in somebody else's tank. <clears throat> be that as it may. The point is, God uses challenging, hard situations, sometimes hard people, to help shape us and teach us about who he is. And so Paul says, I'm looking at you, and here's what I'm hearing about you. There's love in your church, and it's love for everybody. But don't miss this. Look at, look at what Paul says. Where does it come from, though? The love and the faith. I want you to notice what Paul says. Um, look at uh, verse 5. He says, the faith and the love you have springs from the hope you have. At the very heart of the gospel is hope. And Paul recognizes that. And you know, here's what I would say to you all this morning. One of your deepest needs in your life is hope. And when you lose hope, it has disastrous consequences. It reverberates all the way through your life when you lose hope. You don't want to lose hope. Well, the good news is, for those of us who believe in Jesus, our hope is secure. It is certain. Paul even connects it completely uh, eventually to our eternity. He says, it's stored up in heaven for you. In other words, one of the things that Jesus Christ offers you as an individual believer is hope because he has secured your hope. As a matter of fact, he gives you hope in any circumstances, any circumstance, he even gives you hope in death because he himself has defeated death. Hallelujah. And so right now you have hope. You have hope because God has provided for you. God is going to protect you. God, he, you can trust his promises. You can trust his person. You can trust his character. God has preserved hope through his son for us. And Paul says everything springs from that. Now what I would say to you all also this morning is hope is powerful and you know, people are desperate for hope. They are. I came across this story a while back. It's, uh, it's from February of this last year. There's a lady, let me find her name. Her name is Brooke Lacey. She's 22 years old. She's a university student in New Zealand. She lives in Wellington, New Zealand. And during COVID, she went through a bout of depression as a, as a young person. And it was really challenging for her. Once she finally worked her way through her own feelings, she was convicted about making sure that other people knew that they could find hope. So she went to a, a print shop and she asked them to help her. And so they created 600 laminated signs and she put them all over. She put them in supermarkets. She put them in various department stores. She hung them on things outside on, uh, you know, electric poles and any kind of bulletin board 
all over the campus. She finally asked this printer if he could make her a bumper sticker. And so he made her a bumper sticker and put it on her car. And here's what her message said. Please don't take your life today. The world is so much better with you in it. More than you realize. Stay. Well, one day, she says in February of last year, she parked her car at the university in a lot that she wasn't authorized to park in. Now, you college students, y'all know what usually happens, right, when you do that. She had done it before. She said she came out after class, and there was a note underneath the wiper on her windshield, and she said, I knew what it was. I knew the police had come, the university police, you know, the parking people, and God bless them. Um, Trust me, when I was a regent at Baylor, I got so many really sweet notes from the parking people. Um, anyway, she said she took the uh, note and opened it, and it was a handwritten note. And it said this, I left my house with a plan, and I asked for a sign, any sign, that I was doing the right thing to take my own life when I saw your car in the parking lot. Thank you. And Brooke Lacey said, I never met this person, but there was one person who was so desperate, they even found hope in a bumper sticker. I'm telling you, this world is full of people who are looking for hope. Here's the good news, y'all. We have hope. <laughs> we have the hope to share. This hope that we have in the gospel, it's powerful, it's real, and it will change people's lives. So here's what Paul says about the gospel. I want you to look at it with me. Look at verse 6. He says, this gospel that's come to you, this gospel, it is powerful and it is spiritually fertile. Paul says, this gospel's bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Now, when you look at those two words in Greek, Richard Mellick has written a wonderful commentary on Colossians, and he, he helps us understand that those two different Greek words that are translated into English um, bearing fruit and growing, they really are two different words and they imply two different things. The word that's translated bearing fruit has to do with reproducibility, being spiritually fertile. It comes out of the agricultural world. So what Paul says is the gospel is good seed. Well, that's consistent with what we know about the gospel. What did Jesus say in Mark 4? He told two parables about seeds and soil. The shorter parable... In Mark 4, Jesus said, a farmer sowed the seed in his field after he had worked and got everything ready. And then Jesus said, whether he stays up all night or whether he sleeps, the Greek word automaton, automatically, the NIV translates it all by itself, the seed will grow and produce the stalk and ultimately the head and the grain. In other words, you've put the gospel in the right circumstance, in the right place, it will bear fruit. So Paul says the gospel, it's being proclaimed all over the world and it's bearing fruit. It is spiritually reproducible. That's what that first word means. Then he says it's also growing. Well, that word has the idea behind it of maturity, of just spiritual growth in a person's life. So Paul says when I look at what's happening in Colossae in particular, in the world in general, the gospel is having an effect. It is producing fruit. It's being reproduced. People are sharing it. More people are becoming believers. Also, those who are becoming believers are growing in their faith. 
They're maturing, they're developing, and that is a sign of the power of the gospel in a person's life. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. Let's capture both of those. Let's think about the church in America, and let's think about, in general, the church in the world, and let's think about our church. So let's have that conversation. Do y'all remember two weeks ago when I had the whiteboard discussion with y'all? Any of y'all here for that? The spiritual conversation, the strategic conversation? We have been talking about what's happening in the Western context. What some folks are referring to right now is the great de-churching. Where over the last 25 years, we have seen 40 million Americans stop attending church. According to some researchers, Gary Burge would be one of them, this is the largest religious shift in the history of the American religious context. And so it's, it's disturbing news to look at what's happening. We have also seen the average size of a church in America shrink over the last 10 years. It's now down to 65. The average church size in the U.S. is 65. And we are seeing adults in droves who have chosen to no longer be a part of a local congregation. We talked about all that. Remember that? So this great de-churching, we, we recognize that is the Western context. It's primarily the American context. Now, with that said, let's talk about the good news, though. The good news is this. The church is actually growing across the world, though. I want to make sure you know that. Uh, you know, years ago, I was doing some teaching uh, in Asia, and I was meeting with a group of persecuted pastors. There were five of them, if I remember correctly. And they were isolated in villages out in rural Asia. They had no idea what was going on in the rest of the world. And I had a translator with me, and as we were walking through First Peter, and one of them, I was pastoring in Huntsville at the time in Alabama, and they asked me about my church. And when I told them that my church had over 1,000 people who gathered every Sunday, they couldn't believe it because in their mind, there weren't 1,000 Christians in the whole world. They couldn't imagine there were 1,000 Christians meeting on one Sunday in one place. In fact, one of them said, where do y'all meet? How can you have that many people? Well, I want to encourage you today to let you know the gospel is growing around the world. You know, right now, we are the largest religious movement in history, Christianity is. And by the year 2050, the, the, the uh, best estimates we have, we're growing at just under 2% a year around the world. And by 2050, there'll be somewhat in the neighborhood of 3.3 billion Christians on planet Earth the largest religious movement in history. Do you know in the year 2000, when we looked at the complexion of Christians around the world, the majority of Christians in the world lived in the Northern Hemisphere. They lived in Europe and in America. There were 816 million Christians in 2000 living in uh, North America and in Europe. At that time, 816 million Christians living in the Northern Hemisphere we had about 660 million Christians who lived in Asia and Africa. That was in the year 2000. Since that time, in the last 23 years, we've grown. As a matter of fact, in North America, we've grown by over a million Christians a year. We now have about 834, 35 million Christians who live in North America and in Europe. But in Asia and Africa, Christians in Asia and Africa 
have grown from 660 million to 1.1 billion. Over 400 million Christians have joined the Christian movement. People have joined the Christian movement in Asia and Africa. The gospel has grown. This year, year 2023, we will produce and distribute 93 million Bibles. It's a record. It's the most Bibles ever printed and distributed in one calendar year. It's going to happen this year. Many of them printed in versions and translations that you and I, many of us in the room, could not read. But the point is, the church is reproducing. Why would I be surprised by that? What did Paul say? The gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. It was then, it is now. Can we just say praise God for that good news? The gospel is growing, y'all. We're, we're not losing ground across the world. But we've got our own challenges here in our own society. So with that said, let's talk about our church. Here's what I'd say about First Baptist Arlington. What we are trying to do is address our own situation. And what I would tell you is we are growing as well. I shouldn't be surprised by that because of the power of the gospel in this teaching. Uh, I don't know if y'all are familiar with, um, I think it's called Shark Bay, Australia. Let me see if that's right. Yeah, Shark Bay, Australia. Do you know that there is a single plant in Shark Bay, Australia of seagrass? And do you know that that single plant is the largest living plant on earth? It is uh, 77 square miles. It expands over 112 miles in the bay, 20,000 football fields. And there are a group of, of uh, chemists and biologists who've been studying it. A lady named Jane Edgelow has published this article. When they decided to find out exactly how many plants help create this incredible display of, of seagrass, what they discovered is it actually has all come from a single plant. And it now covers 77 square miles, that one plant. Well, if one seagrass plant can reproduce and multiply, what about the gospel? The gospel's powerful. It contains the truth that God has for us. And so let me tell you about First Baptist Arlington. Do you know, we have recognized that we're living in a very challenging era. Those of us who are on staff here, who are in leadership here, we, we know we have been through some challenging and difficult days. We get it. As a matter of fact, this is kind of the image that I have that I would say I've talked to the staff a little bit about it. Do y'all remember Joe Frazier? Some of y'all. I'm not talking about our Joe Frazier. I don't mean him. We all know our Joe Frazier. I'm talking about smoking Joe Frazier, okay? Y'all can Google him because y'all have never heard of him. But um, he was a boxer. And if y'all remember Joe Frazier, he wasn't much necessarily of a knockout puncher. He was a body blow boxer. Y'all remember? If you stayed in the ring with him long enough, he'd wear you down. Well, when I think about where we've been, I want you to think about COVID. What did COVID do to the church? Well, the good news is it didn't deliver a knockout punch. But it delivered some body blows. Churches like ours, and many churches have had to deal with it. And we have come through it now, and we've had to face some new realities as we are healing from it and trying to find our way in this new era 
of ministry. And this new era of ministry is very complex, very pluralistic, as I shared with y'all a couple of weeks ago. Here's what I would tell you about our church. We are growing, we are maturing missionally, ministerially, organizationally. We are trying to respond to the challenges that we're facing. And that means that we have had to make some changes. We've had to rethink some things. We've had to experience a true desire to mature missiologically and ministerially. And that is exactly what's happening. We're exploring new ways to do ministry. And we're also building organizational structure within the staff and the church that we believe is more responsive and can be held more accountable. And we're trying to implement priorities that are more recognizable so that we as a staff can help lead this church to find our way through this particular era. We've changed some of our schedules. We've changed some of our ministries. We've brought new people here. We're trying new strategies because we believe that we've got to address the things that we need to address. We are continuing to grow spiritually. Do you know if you come to this church and you bring your preschooler, here's what I want you to know. Your preschooler in this church, we are going to speak truth into the lives, the ears, the hearts, and the minds of every preschooler on this campus. From the youngest preschooler all the way through to when they graduate from our preschool ministry, we don't babysit preschoolers. Right, Casey? We don't. You know what we do? We teach them. God made you. God loves you. God is your friend. And we speak deep truths into the lives of our preschoolers in language that they can understand. Then when they become children, we're teaching them how to become Psalm 1 kids. We don't babysit children at this church. Then when they become youth, we introduce them to a plan of discipleship and ministry and curriculum that is going to shape their ability to understand the gospel for themselves, learn how to read the Bible for themselves so that they can have their own faith. It's not good enough for them as youth to have your faith. Your faith surrounds them, serves as a basis for them and a foundation for them, but it's not enough for them to have your faith. They need their own faith. Then when they make their way to college, we're going to introduce them to an entire discipleship plan. We have disciple makers at work in our college ministry, right, Connor? That's what we're doing. We're going to teach you as college students how to follow Jesus in this day. And then guess what? No matter how old you get, okay, no matter how old you get, if you come to this church, we're going to make you study the Bible. We, we don't care. We don't care how old you get. We're going to put you in a Bible study group, and you're going to keep studying the Bible because we believe you still need to be shaped and formed. And we're going to do that until we hold your funeral. Because you know why? We believe in spiritual growth. We believe in transfer, transformational ministry. We want to not only teach you the scripture, we're going to offer you opportunities to be engaged in mission and in ministry at this church because that's who this church is. And it requires sometimes some changing methodology. And coming through COVID, we've had to do some of that. We've had to make some decisions about how God is going to use us. And that means some of the diverse ministries that we support, we've made changes in some of them and the changes continue. So not only are we experiencing growth in terms of our spiritual growth, as mentioned in this text, we also are trying to find ways to be spiritually reproducible. That means that we've got to share the gospel in tangible ways. So again, you look at our college ministers, great example. Um, uh, Connor has been promoting and blessing and encouraging personal evangelism. Have you noticed that we've seen college students being baptized in the baptistry in this church? 
It's a byproduct of that. Our youth right now, do you know on Wednesday nights, our youth are studying a method of evangelism known as Alpha. It's the Alpha course in evangelism. And we're teaching these youth to be invitational in how they are to share the gospel themselves. And I think the last report I got, just this semester, we've had over 50 new students show up in our high school ministry because of y'all's efforts as high school kids. Good job, y'all. Um, thank you for modeling that for the church. We started table groups. The table groups, we have 100 people right now involved in table groups where Luke is primarily doing the training. Our people are living together in community, developing deep fellowship with one another, learning missional habits to be practiced in their homes and in their neighborhoods, and then once a month they host an outreach event that has evangelism at the heart of it as they're applying the missional methodology that they're learning in the table groups. Something brand new for us. But again, it is a part of our attempt to change strategy to find our way into the future because we realize we can't stand pat and just watch our culture change so rapidly around us without us responding definitively and intentionally to it. So we are becoming, in my opinion, the years I've been here, as intentional in evaluating everything we're doing as at any other time in the life of our church. And it is rooted in just a sense of urgency and also a sense of confidence in the gospel because we believe with everything in us the gospel is going to bear fruit whenever we share it. And I praise God for it. And it has reverberating effects. When you share the gospel and you're intentionally invested in ministry and mission, you have no idea how God's going to bless it. You have no idea how God's going to come around it and somehow infuse life into it. You know, just this past week, this past Friday, I had a friend of mine in town from South Dakota. He came in town to, to take us to the World Series, game one of the World Series. Come on, y'all. Mm, come on, Rangers. Anyway, great night. So, but that day, he and I and Cindy, we went over to Mission Arlington. I was just showing him around. We get on Mission Arlington on Friday, and guess who was there at Mission Arlington on Friday? Major League Baseball and the Texas Rangers Foundation was there because they've adopted Mission Arlington as one of the charitable projects that they're going to invest in and we had a ceremony with one of the vice presidents of Major League Baseball, the president of the Texas Rangers Foundation making a donation to expand the medical facility in Mission Arlington so we can provide better medical care in this community for free. All, <laughs> praise God. But why? I was standing there in that room y'all listening to them and I thought to myself, way to go First Baptist Arlington. All those years ago, when you started this very tangible kind of ministry, you had no idea who would be involved in it, who would get connected to it. You had no idea how God was going to draw all that up. And God always does so much more than you would ever imagine or come up with on your own because that's how God works, because the gospel's powerful and it changes people's lives. Even people who aren't necessarily connected to the gospel sometimes get connected to it and become a part of it. It's amazing what God can do. So our church, we are trying. We've changed our schedules, like Wednesdays. You know, we come through COVID, everything changed. Well, we've just now begun a new midweek program. So I asked them, give me some results. So I've had several people helping me figure all this out. Um, Jen and Andy and a bunch of folks. Well, this past Wednesday night, midweek, Wednesday, we had 371 people here on our campus on Wednesday, midweek for all kinds of things. Ministry to their children, rehearsing to lead us in worship, people learning about how to be better parents. I mean, there were all kinds of things happening on Wednesday when for a while there was nothing happening on Wednesday. 
You know, we had no programming, but we've instituted new programming. We're trying to, to, to hit that niche, if you can, of ministry. And then when you look at Sunday mornings, you know, again, the body blow, so much has changed about people's attendance patterns and how they're a part of church anymore. It's just so different than it used to be. And we've recognized that reality. Well, if you look back uh, when we first came back from COVID, well, it was a difficult time. You look at our child development center. We reopened our child development center. We had 37 kids in it when we reopened after COVID. We now have right at 120 kids in our child development center, touching families, encouraging them, many of them that I don't know. As a matter of fact, they don't know me. You know how I know they don't know me? When I go to something, the parents just walk right by me. <clears throat> just walk right by. I came to a little carnival here on Friday. had several parents just walk by, by me. So I've, I've started a new practice. If you, if you walk right by me, I'm gonna stop you and introduce myself to you. Well, I met several new parents. Aren't we glad? We got parents bringing their kids. They don't even know who I am yet. But you know what? They need the ministry that we're providing to them. And then if you look at uh, December 2022, when we first started really looking at some of this uh, material, I guess, or analysis, on a weekend, over the course of a month, about 1,420 folks had, had come back and were here over the course of a month on Sundays. Now we're up to about 1,600 that are a part of our life on Sunday mornings over the course of a month. So what we're noticing is a steady trend moving in the right direction. Why would I be surprised? The gospel bears fruit and grows when it's planted. So with that said, this morning, I want us to think about our role in that. I want you to think about your role in it. What does it mean for you to be a part of the Christian movement in general that is growing all over the world and a part of this church in particular that is trying to find our way into the future God has for us in this era. I want you to think about that this morning as we have a time of commitment and invitation. So let's pray together this morning. <clears throat> Lord, today we, we do want to thank you, Lord, for this gospel and the fact that we know and believe that it's good. And that then when Paul wrote it, and today, it's bearing fruit. And yet we also know we have to be faithful as Christians, as a church, to plant the seeds of the gospel in our own lives and in the lives of those who are around us. So we pray, Lord, you'll find us faithful in that very thing. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.